What a treat you're in for this week. It's the greatest movie of the 1980s and that is Ghostbusters. Directed by Ivan Reichman, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson, this is one of my favourite films growing up. I would watch it time and time again. We've been wanting to do a big film for a while and I don't think it gets much bigger for this. So for our 25th anniversary, here we are, it's Ghostbusters. Another film from that amazing year that was 1984. Check it out, as so many good films came out that, that year. The film is almost 40 years old, so we delve into a couple of key areas that we always ask. You know, our favourite aspects, what are our memories of it growing up, what's our favourite scene, what changes would we make? And then finally, would we recommend it? Based on this intro alone, I'm sure you can probably work out what our thoughts of the film are. But anyway, here's the episode. I hope you enjoy. So guys, for whatever reason, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe everything happens for a reason. And I believe we were destined to start Rewind the Movies and revisit Ghostbusters. Oh. I was did, you pro- did, you, did you practice that? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that literally as the scene was on when I was re-watching the movie and, and changed the ending. Um, but it was Evan's pick, but it, it would have come round to me at some point or prog to pick this film. You're welcome. And, yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> the only reason I hadn't chose, chose it earlier was... I wanted to do it justice. And I think if we'd done it as one of our first episodes where we were still trying to find our feet and there's an argument that we're still trying to find our feet now. Um, yeah, I, I was a little bit nervous about doing it then. It's one of my favourite films. Um, and if you ever put me on the spot and say, what is your favourite film? I'd probably really like panic, hesitate and eventually come to this anyway. So yeah, it's right up there for me. I'll come into my memories for a moment, but have you picked it? Come on, what what what's your what's your initial thought? I know in a previous podcast, the the Space Force episode, I said that that was one of the greatest films ever made. But, <laughs> but <laughs> don't shake your head, Prog, because you know because you know it's right. Um, but this this is cinematic perfection for me. It, it, this hour and forty nine minutes is is just bliss from start to finish. Um, and I remember it, th- this was the first first film I ever remember watching properly. The first time I had exposure to it, I remember I was thinking it was about five, um, four or five. And I remember we were, it was around Christmas time and we, we were staying in, staying in my auntie's house in Whitley Bay up north. And it, it, I say auntie, but it was like, it was my grandma's best friend, you know, and, Auntie, you borrow an orbital sander from. Um, I came downstairs because I was because I was sleeping at the time. I came downstairs and I walked in right at the right at the point where the apartment building blows up at the end. And I thought, oh my god, it's what's happened here? It's amazing. And then when a mate of mine, his um, his mum used to run a run a video store called Azed Video Store in uh, North Shields. Um, people who have actually seen Train Spotting, the the film that. That that company Azad is the is the chain where Tommy um, rent takes his so called sex video back to the shop. Anyway, is he really? Yeah, 
Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Have a have a have a look next time you watch Train Spot, and it's a, the scene where Tommy and Lizzie are, are waiting outside the video shop, yeah. and it's as a video. Yeah. And I remember every week I used to get Ghostbusters, and it, and it, and it used to be out all the time because it was a popular film. But my mate's mom knew I knew I loved it, and she kept a special copy underneath the sh- underneath the counter just for me. How many times do you think you rented it? Well, once a week for probably about two years. Jesus, man! I think me, me, mom and dad got 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 sick of it at one point, but I just I wouldn't I wouldn't rent anything else. Literally, it had to be a, a film and Ghostbusters, regardless yeah. of what it was. Yeah. Did they eventually buy it for you? <laughs> no, I, was, I, had, I had to. I had to wait. I think. Oh, oh no! Oh, actually, yes, they did. Sorry, I tell a lie. I was about eight or nine, and it came out on VHS, and it was the two of them at the same time. So it was Ghostbusters one and two on the same on the same tape. And in between, I think I mentioned this before in a previous episode. You had there was an episode of nineteen thirties Batman, just one random episode, um, and there was two trailers both fil- uh, films by John G. Avildsen, one of which was The Karate Kid 3 with bad boy Mike Barnes and um, and another film called The Bear. I remember that yeah. double cassette or double yeah. VHS because my cousin had it. Really? Yeah, oh. he had the exact, well, not your copy, but he yeah. had a copy of it. I Because rem- I, tra- I remember the trailers in between the films. Yeah. Oh, good times. Well, I owned it on VHS and I can't remember from what age and I can't remember the first time I ever watched it. <clears throat> All I know is probably very similar to you, Ev. I watched it on a regular basis. And again, I say this all the time, but we didn't have loads of VHSs and videotapes growing up. You had stuff that you recorded from TV and you had a handful of probably original VHS which this was one of. So you would just watch the same films over and over. And that is why we, you know, we grow to love these films. And I'm pretty sure I would have loved this watching it for the first time. It, it, it's right up there for me. I, um, funny enough, when you're talking about Ghostbusters 2, I had Ghostbusters 2 on LP. That's, that's how old we are. <sighs> Um, admittedly, it's probably towards the end of um, LPs, but my sister won it in a competition. So it must have been around 1989 when the second film came out. Um, she won it in a competition from a magazine um, and, <laughs> and obviously gave it to me. But um, there. It's got, some ba- it's got some bangers on that song. Oh, I, it, it has. I wish we still had that now. It's, um, <laughs> it, but there's another film that I'm keen to do at some point in the future. Number two, it's... Um, it, it that's quite special to me as well, but again, we wasn't Bobby Bra- Bobby Brown was like the, he's on that one, yeah. He's in the film as well, isn't he? Oh, that's right. He's the um the restaurant guy, isn't he? No, no. Bobby Brown is he greets the Ghostbusters as they go in to meet the, the mayor. mayor again. Yes, yeah, that's right. I have another story with Ghostbusters, but I think it's only right that we ask Prog first his memories yeah. of it. And then we'll discuss my other story because it does involve Prague as well. Yeah. You might want me to tell it because you probably forget. <laughs> yeah, you got a shocking memory. Well, I tell you what, we'll start <laughs> off with me telling it and see if it's right or not. But go on, Prague. What, what's your memories of it growing up? I don't remember a lot of the film from when I was younger. I remember watching it, but I couldn't tell you what scenes I remember or moments I remember. I know I had a lot 
of Ghostbusters merchandise. Like I had the figures. I remember having the. Um, you had a proton pack. If I remember I just, right. I was just going to say about the proton. Oh my uh, god! But from the um, the real Ghostbusters. <gasps> Yeah, it was um, it was the cartoon, cartoon. one, than and we the come film. on to that in a moment. Yeah. Oh, but I, I was really envious that you had the proton pack. And I'm assuming it would have come with a trap as well. I Did can't it? remember the trap. I just remember running around the house with a proton. You're en- you're envious. I'm envious now. <laughs> oh, I I had a trap, um, but it was um, it was like a, a voice changer. So in theory, you would slide out the the trap, and I had the other end. And I could talk in it, and it would be a loudspeaker, but you would change oh, okay. the yeah. pitch and things, and you could, like, turn yourself into a ghost. And I remember the advert for it, that it was literally like someone would slide it underneath a chair, talk on it, and, like, pretend to be a ghost, and someone would be scared. And then as a, I don't know, seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I want one of them. <laughs> but, yeah, I was really envious of Prague having a proton pack. Yeah, I love that proton pack. Probably... <laughs> I can't remember how long it lasted. Knowing us as kids, it's probably like six months or something. But I do remember having it and wearing it a bit. But again, it was it was the culture, wasn't it? It was the Ghostbusters culture that uh, I think I was not besotted, but I, I that that's what took my interest more than I, anything. Yeah, you know, I think we we benefit from growing up in a time right where there was really good cartoons in the sense of they captured your imaginations. For me. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, He-Man, Thundercats, and the real Ghostbusters, who had to change their names because of the the other um, Ghostbusters um, cartoon at the time, the film from Nation one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I had all the figures. I had Ecto one. I had the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I was really envious of my cousin who had the um, fire station. And I, I, oh, I couldn't wait at times to go around his house and play with that. I was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, so there is a story which Prog obviously knows. Ev, you may know this, but and it's to do with university. And I know, I know where you're going now. Yeah, so I watched. Let's put it straight out there. I watched Ghostbusters three times in a 24-hour period. It was and, less than that, but. Well, well, I, <laughs> it was about it was about fourteen hours. I, I don't think it was that much, but anyway. And if I'm if my memory serves me correctly, it was the day of my birthday, the fifth of You're June. Right with that, yeah. Um, it was. I I, I want to say a Saturday, but I could be wrong on that. What no, you're correct. Um, and it was my first year of university. Technically, Prague's second year of university. So we lived in a house in Pontypridd because we went to the University of Glamorgan. Evan, we knew you then, but you didn't live with us at that point. And we watched Ghostbusters before a night out. This, this, I'm not sure, look, let me finish my story and then correct me what bit's wrong. Okay, but yeah, it yeah. Was a, it was, I think it was a night out. Wales were playing Poland that day in football. It was a big game for me. Yeah, yeah, Prague with his divided loyalties. <laughs> um, I thought we watched it before we went out. I then had a little bit too much to drink. And as we were getting ready to go out, I had a shower. And then about five minutes later, Prague found me on my bed saying, come on, Andy, you're going out. And I was just, oh, I'm just going to have five minutes. 
and fell asleep on my bed. And they just said, oh, he's not, he's not coming out. He's, he's wasted. To which point I then woke up early hours of the morning, maybe not early hours, maybe 11, 12 o'clock at night, naked in the spare bedroom, <laughs> went downstairs, put Ghostbusters on because it was on in the video recorder. The boys all came home early hours of the morning after going to a party. Ghostbusters just finished and we ended up watching it again then because you saw the end of it. How much of that story is factual, Prog? <laughs> I'd, do you know what? You haven't done too badly. I'd say about 50% of that is correct. 50. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very good for you. Right, so num- number one, it was your birthday. It was a Saturday. Wales versus Poland were playing. It was me, you, Chris Isaacs, and Stephen Bond, Bondy, who, who lived with us at the time. We did a punch. And if you remember the punches we used to do, they were absolutely lethal. <laughs> eight eight alcohol pops and a two-litre bottle of white light, lightning. Or and some vodka. Yeah. yeah. And, we might have done uh, Skittle vodka that day as well. It was Skittle vodka, yes, yeah, yeah. you're right. And what happened was we were drinking now, watching the football, having a laugh, listening to a bit of music. And then we all started getting ready to go out. And we, our aim was to go out about seven o'clock and go to the student union for the night. So we were all ready. Andrew was the last one to have a shower. And then about 25 minutes, half an hour after we thought he'd come out of the shower, there was no sign of him. So I went into, I knocked on his bedroom door. I opened the door. I went like, and the curtains had been drawn. The bed quilt, the quilt was over his head. <laughs> Are you coming? Are you coming out? No, but I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I think at one point I might have said, um, uh, I'll catch you up later or something. Oh, you did, yeah, no, you did say, I'll, ca- I'll try and catch you up later. So me, Bondi and Isaacs went out. Bondi ended up getting lucky with the girls, so he went back to hers. Isaacs ended up in the hospital to have his stomach pumped. <laughs> I came home to find Andrew sitting in the living room, finishing watching Ghostbusters for the first time. And because I hadn't seen Ghostbusters for a while, he sat in the living room while we we watched it again, while I was watching it. We ended up sleeping in the living room, one of us on the settee and one of us in one of the chairs. And then when we got up in the morning, it was about half eight, we'd had a phone call from Isaacs from hospital to tell us where he is. We wouldn't worry. In all honesty, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but as you are when you're a young lad, you kind of forget about it. But his, he was in hospital after having his stomach pumped and his parents were there with him. So he was, you know, okay at that point. But we, after the phone call, we ended up watching Ghostbusters again. So that's the third time that Andrew watched it. And it was ah. the second time I watched it. I, I wasn't too far off then. No, no, you weren't far <laughs> off. No. So in the, in the level of importance, Isaacs came a close, came a distant second to Ghostbusters. Well... <laughs> You gotta remember the state that we were all in. I mean, I yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I I do quite well when I'm drunk. I I kind of I'm aware of where I am, so I manage to get home most of the time. But you're coming off that punch, and you're also drinking when you're out. So and Andrew's obviously just groggy because he's woken up after a little sleep. You, I don't know if he was still drunk, were you? Probably. Now, there, there's up. another part to this story, right? So this would have been 2001, right? 
yeah, 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 summer, yeah. So, so I'm assuming, yeah, we had mobile phones at that point. I'm pretty sure I had a phone call from you, Prog, that says we're going to a house party. Do you want to come? No, you're mixing up a different night. Ah, uh, a different night. Yeah, because <laughs> I I don't know if you remember. This is turning into university stories now, but the first house we lived in in uni, we had a landline because mobile phones. I'd only just come out and they were really expensive. Ah, yeah. And me and you, before we had the landline, the first couple of weeks that we were living in the house, we used to have to go down to the phone box down the hill to either ring our parents or ring our girlfriends who we were seeing at the time to speak to them. Do you remember that? I remember going to the phone boxes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's listeners now thinking, phone boxes, where the hell are they? Oh, all right, enough university stories. You can get a flavour of what we were like um, in university from that. Um, but f- for me, that, that's quite a memorable night and a memorable story in the sense of... You it's know, the best birthday you've ever had, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Remem- <laughs> remember the time when we watched Ghostbusters? Imagine how delighted he, he would have been if he had the proton pack as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd woken up naked on my bed with a proton pack. Well, this is, this is the same house that Andrew went out the back and let off the fire extinguisher. Oh. In inverted commas, the test that he was working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a good house. Bad house, good house. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, right, where do we go from there? <laughs> Any other memories? Or should we just jump straight in on our favourite aspect of the film? Just yeah. go in. Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, Ev, I know you've made some notes. Let's start. What's your favourite aspect? I, Ev, I know you're going to reel whatever, however many off you, so I'm going to limit you to three. You can have, <laughs> you can, you can have your main one. Uh, all right, then. And then you can have two mentions, yeah? yeah? Honourable uh, mentions. All right, then. Um, the, ma- the main one for me is is how, how well it, it combines the the comedy factor, but with, but with a serious agenda, so to speak. And I know it's... I know, like with the with the actors that they had, you know, with Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, they had. I don't know, were were films like Stripes out before this, or, yeah, or after? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So you so you had the their reputation of being like comedic actors, like Saturday Night Live and all the the, the Canadian version and stuff like that. All through the film, it, you you don't think it's like a comedy or a slapstick. I mean, to me anyway, it's it, it's. It's a it's a serious film with comedic elements, and I think that's it's it's re- really good, and it shows that they could play play serious roles. Yeah, what you're referring to is the fact that I think Hal Ramis and Ivan Reitman they'd been involved in the comedy films they were involved in it was like yeah. National Lampoons and Caddyshack yeah. and so on. So yeah. yeah, even though they are comedy films, they're completely different types of comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, where I think where I think it's it's this it's quite it's quite like a you know. A sort of semi serious serious film, but with the comedic elements all rolled in, I think it's really good. Um, some of the special effects I find find still still sort of hold up. I mean, I watched it last night, and that like the the scene where where Steve Puff comes round in between the in between the tower blocks, and it's got it's it's got the shot of the the crossroads and whatever. I think that that as an effect, so effect was really good. Um, for the time. Yeah, I think you're right with the effects still holding up for the most part. Yeah. And I think it's helped by the effects are for ghosts. Mm. 
So the ghosts are going to look, you know, you need them to look otherworldly. So, yeah. you know, you, you're not going to have practical ghosts, practical effects for ghosts. You know, so No, I think I think that apart from, apart from like a, a, a couple of ghosts, like the taxi driver, um, you know, how you can see it's sort of like a, a yeah. all like an animatronic sort of thing. And obviously the the, the dogs. Um, yeah. I, I will admit, when I watched it last night, the dogs did look a little bit dated. But yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. The rest of that film looks... It, I, it, it does it really well. Even from the moment that you, you see a ghost for the first time, and you see a ghost quite early on. It's not yeah. like a lot of it's hidden. Or it's, um, how would you describe this film? Is it a horror comedy? An action horror comedy? An action comedy? I, I don't think it's a horror at all. I, I, no. I would... I, I, I'm not saying that I would dispute anyone who would class it as part horror, comedy horror perhaps, but I don't find any of the elements in it scary or frightening. I think there's only one scene that I thought, yeah, that could be in a horror film. Is it the first one where they meet the, um, the librarian? No, because there's too much comedy in it. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't think so. When the, the, he turns around and he just goes, rah! The, admittedly, the bits either side of it, Quite uh, comedic, no, but the build up to it is yeah. to me is too there's too much comedy. Yeah. The, the the one scene I think is horror is when Sigourney Weaver hit, is held in the chair by the wow. the ghostly arms and she's dragged into the kitchen. I think that is a horror scene, yeah. Are you are you thinking and with the with the 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 librarian scene, are you thinking right before? the titles before we even meet any of the Ghostbusters or are you th- No when the Ghostbusters meet the ghost oh, right, okay. and she goes Shh Yeah and then Ray's plan <laughs> is get her yeah. yeah I think for me last one I think the soundtrack is is brilliant for this. So it's the the song choices in this in this film fits the scenes really well. And even even the score, the the creepy music, like and that's in in the scene how um, when Sigourney Weaver's in in the chair, mm. you know, it's, it's quite quite suspenseful. And the song when when the containment when the containment system blows up, and then then obviously you see all the ghosts go out into the city. Um, the song behind that, Magic, oh. I think it's called Magic. Um, yeah, yeah, Please. brilliant. Yeah. I, I, the other the other one I love in that is Saving the Day. I don't just yeah. call that. Yes, it is, yeah. Save yeah. a day. Oh, proper <laughs> 80s montage in the middle of a film. I, love it. I think that's be three, I think, am I? Yeah. Yeah. I'll shut up now. Prog, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll give one an honourable mention, but my main one is, and I will say, any time I watch this film, my favourite aspect of the film changes all the time. So for this viewing, I picked out something different, and I think it's something that you two wouldn't have wouldn't perhaps mention, yeah? So that's another reason why I'm going to say it. But the main one is the script. Mm. I think the script is brilliant. And I know, I'm guessing that there was some sort of ad-libbing by Bill Murray, because, you know, I I get the impression that that's the type of actor he is in comedies. But as far as I'm aware, the plot structure and a lot of the dialogue in the film is as it was written by... Ackroyd and Ramis, and I, I, as I understand it, the plot points and the story is mainly by Ackroyd, and the dialogue and character beats 
and mainly by Ramis. I, I always I always thought that Ramis ad libbed. I always thought that he ad libbed more than he may have done because they, for the one one conversation when when they first go into the library, and then Bill Murray says to him, "Oh, this reminds me of the time you tried to drill drill a hole through your head," and 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 immediately he comes he comes with, "Oh, that would have worked if you hadn't stopped us." And, and yeah, maybe that's an ad lib, but I do think Ramis is. He's he's capable of having written that previously anyway. Yeah, because we I, I mean it's it's turned out in in films past Ghostbusters, particularly with Groundhog Day, that he's obviously a very talented scriptwriter for comedy. But the script is the main one. But for this viewing, my favorite aspect was Harold Ramis as Egon, and the relationship with Janine, and I just found that funnier this time than I found it previously. I'm not sure whether it was because I was, you know, more aware, I was trying to be more aware of what was happening and I took particular notice of it, but I did find their interaction really funny. And it made me sad about Ghostbusters too. Yeah, because she gets with um... Rick Moranis and Rick yeah, Moranis is an yeah. absolute doofus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I really enjoy Ghostbusters too, right? I really enjoy it. I think it's a, I think it's a good film, and I think there's a lot of good things in it. But I don't think what they built up in this film between Egon and Janine is paid off in Ghostbusters Two. But I think Egon is funnier than a lot of people give him credit for as a character. Yeah, and I don't think he has as much screen time as Bill Murray, for example, no. or Dan Aykroyd. But yeah, what he does have is brilliant. And I, I'll, I, I'll jump on that bandwagon a little bit because there's one scene with him and Janine, so Egon and Janine, and she asks him a question, and for the love of money, I can't remember what it is. Maybe it's something like, do you believe in God or something? Um, and he answers it and more or less says no, but then she just keeps on talking as if he'd said yes. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's religion. I think it's something else. She asks him. Oh, I say, yeah, it says do do you read a lot? And he says, "You read the, that's it." Yeah, he says, "Do you read a lot?" And he says, and he oh, says the, "Printer's dead." Yeah, the printer's <laughs> dead. And, like, and she's yeah. like, "Oh, that's fasc- that's fascinating." I read a lot myself. <laughs> yeah, she goes on about what she does, and she goes, uh, "Do you have any hobbies?" And this is my favorite line in the film: "I collect uh, spores, moles, and fungus." Yeah. <laughs> And there's that there's that other bit where he's fixing the computer, so she's talking on the phone or talking to someone I can't remember, and then he just comes up from from yeah, underneath that's, the yeah. computer. That's the same scene. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, as if she was like, yeah, he must have been really cramped under there because he looked like she was under the desk. <laughs> for there, anyway. But I, 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 what I like about their interplay is, obviously, Ray and Peter are the driving force of the film. Yeah. They're the two. You could say, even though they're supposed to be a three main characters, they are the two main characters that were centered on. But I think the relationship between Egon and Janine allows us the opportunity to get to know Egon a lot more than we would have mm-hmm. done if she wasn't in there. Because you you can see the bouncing off each other. Yeah, there's an interesting. Um... A deleted scene or outtakes, I can't re- really remember. But you know the the TV advert, you know, um, we're ready to believe you. Yeah. Then so there's there's deleted scenes of that, which um, th- there's there's a longer commercial, and it's um, Ray, I believe, talking 
more about what they do and what 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 they, they can do for you. And but there's Janine in the background, she's just standing there. <laughs> and she's just not doing anything. She it's yeah, it's just like we need an employee to stand in the background or whatever. She's just standing there. Um but if you get a chance to, to look at the outtakes or the other deleted scenes, that one's a really good one because the, the film itself did evolve over time as um, Aykroyd was writing it. And they ended up doing a commercial, a couple of commercials where they, you know, they all three of them come together and they go Ghostbusters, you know, and they also go Ghost Smashers. And the other yeah. one then is, no, Ghost Stoppers and Ghost Blasters are the two that are on the... Um, yeah, because they couldn't get the rights for the name originally, could they? So they ended up having to pay, um, I can't remember what, what it, it was, was half a million. But I can't, oh, it was to Universal, that's what it was. Mm. So Universal, I, fil- I think, owned Film Nation or Film, whatever they call it, Film Filmatronic or whatever. Um, and they had a live TV action show called The Ghostbusters, but Ghostbusters was uh, two words. Mm. And the, the guy who brought in the this film, Ghostbusters, was then moving to Universal at so he ended up sweetening the deal, and that's why they were they were able to use okay. the, the name. Mm. Um, I, I can't remember his name for love no money, but um, oh Frank Price. Sorry, I just found in my notes. But going on what Prog said about Egon and um, Ray, Ray is my favourite aspect of the film. I find him hilarious, right? <laughs> so for all of Venkman's quips and dialogue and you know brilliantly delivered scenes. Ray does a lot without saying much, I think, at times, right? So first of all, you more or less meet them for the first time when they well, he runs into the um, office, let's call it that, wherever Venkman mm-hmm. is doing the experiment. Disregards everything that Venkman is doing, even though what he's trying to do is hit <laughs> on a girl. That's an aspect <laughs> that I'm sure we'll, we'll pick up at some point. And then we go into the library and it's just the little things that he does. And the first bit that he says, it makes me laugh out loud every time he goes, listen, do you smell that? Yeah, and, and, what the, and what the film does really well at that point is they put in a couple of piano notes and he goes, yeah. listen, do you smell that? Ding-ding-ding. <laughs> they work so well. And yeah. it's only like really this time that I picked up on it. I always known it was there, but it just, sets the scene as such i've mentioned it already i have a plan get her brilliant and then there's two aspects right of ray's running and i'll come to the cigarette as well but ray's running watch him so when he runs out of the library he runs like a cartoon character his his top half of his body wants to go one way his legs go the other way so he, they run down the steps. His his body wants to keep going forward. His legs turn left or right, whichever way it is. And yeah, he does this like sort of like cartoon <laughs> try to turn a corner scenario. He's almost like hopping, isn't he? To yeah. try and turn. Yeah. And I tell you the other aspect. They have their first call. So Janine hits the um, alarm. We've got one. Ray gets up. They're having their um, last sort of Chinese or whatever. He comes down the pole, goes to run one way, but ends up doing this like really like t- exaggerated turn around to to get to the equipment or or their um their clothes. Let's put mm. it that way in the lockers behind. 
Yeah. It's just loads of those little things that um, Dan Aykroyd does throughout. Um, when they're in the the fire station for the first time, seeing it and deciding whether they're going to you know, get it or not. Egon lists out this massive list of things that are wrong with it. And then next minute, hey, does this pole still work? <laughs> Comes down the pole. Oh, this place is great. When can we move in? He's, uh, again, just makes me laugh every time. Absolutely brilliant. There's, a, there's one thing I didn't I, I didn't realize as well. Like when he when he's um when he's working on the car when when Dana first comes into the comes into the fire station and he, he's working on the car and he he pops his head out and he's smoking that, that right, <laughs> yeah. right next to the car engine throughout, throughout <laughs> the film. Ev, they're like this must be professionals. They're in other people's like houses and places of work and they're just yeah. smoking away. I know yeah. it's different time and everything, right? But yeah. Um, also, you're on the fire station. That pole, I would not come down that. See how wobbly it is. Oh, it yeah. lit- it's like someone's just holding it on at the top end. And they are. Oh. Also, I'm, I'm sure Prague will know this story. Um, I went to New York for my honeymoon, really excited. When I did a bit of um, so I said to Rach, what I'd love to do is go and see some of the places where I know some of my favorite films have been um, filmed or shot. So we went to the library and we we, we stood outside the steps. Um, we I think we went to the place where they do the call it fate, call it luck, call it karma speech. The university. The university, yeah. Um, so then we went down to sort of south of the island as such, um, looking for the fire station. And me and Rich, and the fire station is in, uh, I think it's Hook and Ladder number um, eight in Trebekah. I think Trebekah, I think that's how you say it. Mm. Um, and we, I, I had it on Google Maps um, and we were on the street and we were going back and forth. And I spent about 20 minutes looking for this um, fire station, expecting it to be this massive building, absolutely huge. Um, and anyway, couldn't find it to eventually find out that it was behind scaffolding. And I was like, so him, so him, um, excited to get my photograph outside the you know, Rachel on the other side of the street me like yay come on take my photo and yeah I couldn't have it because it was behind scaffolding oh. I absolutely get it anyway I'm not going to even go into my other aspects because I'm sure we'll pick them up at some point but Ray is right up there for making the film with me and I think it shows that Dan Aykroyd as a writer for the actual yeah. film itself you know it was, it was, it was his original script it makes it, you know, and his original script, I don't know if you know the, the details behind this, but it was it was supposed to be set in the future and it was supposed to be a lot darker. Um, it, it was originally going to have him, John Belushi and Eddie Murphy as, as the main protagonists, right? Um, it was set around um, dozens of Ghostbuster groups fighting these ghosts over different times and different dimensions. Steve Puff Marshmallow Man was going to be in it, but he was much earlier in the film rather than being the, let's call it, the boss, if, if I was going to use a gaming term, right? Um, and ultimately, what he had written was them fighting something like 50 large-scale mon- monsters, and Ivan Reichman estimated that this film would have cost upwards of about £300 million to make, and bearing in mind now this was 1984. 
four. Yeah. Oh, probably. Well, it was earlier than that. Um, the other thing was that they had a very short period of time to to shoot this film. They had literally twelve months from the moment they got the green light from the studio. They said, "Right, next summer, we want this film to be released." So they had literally twelve months to to, to cast, to shoot, to edit, and do everything. Um, which, if you think about the final film that they've come with, and you know, and Prague will know the sort of what comes with every aspect of making a film, especially the, you know, the end edit and things. I, I just think it's unbelievable what they managed to achieve in a 12 month period for the quality of film that was produced. Yeah, definitely. I got to say, going back to what you were saying about the, about the ads and the deleted scenes, that, that ad as it is in the film is the first bit of sort of viral marketing that, that I've heard of anyway, is that the phone number that's on, that's on the, um, that's on the ad was actually a real phone number. And if you, if you phoned it, it went through to a voicemail message of them saying that, you know, we're out on a job, please, please leave a message or something. Oh, and I think, I, I think, yeah, I think, I, I think within, within the first, first like day or, or so, they had thousands upon thousands of people phoning this number. Can I just give you one anecdote? Yeah. Go on. You know, um, Janine, when she's peeved off with Venkman, because she hasn't had a break or day off. And she answers the phone and she says, Ghostbusters, what do you want? I still answer the phone like that to some of my family. <laughs> Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've, um, yeah, probably said that a number of times in my life. And again, this film, there are hundreds of quotes in it. Yeah. And the one thing that you know, Prog prompted me to do a moment ago, going back to Ray, is the scene where they meet what's, no, what's now known as Slimer, but at the time he wasn't known as Slimer. And Ray turns around, sees Slimer for the first time, and the cigarette is just hanging on his lip. <laughs> and that cigarette was supposed to fall. Yeah. And it, 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 it just stayed there. And what a you know, brilliant yeah. bit of... Um, Filmmaking, I think. I, I, I quote as if I'm wrong here, but didn't they base Slimer off John Belushi? In, yeah, in, so in, John in Belushi House? was originally going to be in the film. Yeah. Uh, um, he died. I don't know how much before the film was made, but it wasn't that long. So Slimer was originally known as Onion Head for whatever reason, but he's based on the party and the gluttonous sort of characteristics of. Um, uh, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd was supposedly very good friends with Belushi and you know the, the, well they did Blues Brothers together didn't they and, yeah. um, and I'm sure they did other films as well but um, so yeah they wanted some sort of like homage to him and that's where it came from and I mentioned it just now Slimer the name didn't come about until and it was named by the audiences that went to see the film, but also then adopted for the real Ghostbusters and then Ghostbusters 2. Um, he was, before that, known as the Green Ghost or Onion Head. I don't know, yeah, like I said, I don't know where Onion Head came from. Yeah. And, and the voice to Slimer, do you know who it is? It's Reichman. Really? And he also does the voice when Dana turns into Zool and is lying on the bed and, and Peter says to her... You know who who am I talking to? Where can I speak to Dana? And he goes, "There is no Dana, only Zool." And yeah, that, that's um, Ivan again. 
So moving on to favourite scene, Prague, I'm going to come to you first. For this time watching it, I'm going to pick the scene where they're in with the mayor. Oh, defending themselves. It's right up um, there. For, for, it's one of mine as well. We haven't spoken a lot about him, so uh, I'm quite glad that I picked this scene this time because I think it's a perfect example of Peter Venkman's character. Uh, he's, he's for want of a better word, a salesman, isn't he? He's the... He's a game show host, according to... Uh, yeah. Exactly, yeah. he's got the gift of the gab, and I think this is a, a scene that typifies that approach and character perfectly. I mean, forget everything that goes, that he says prior, right? The last line before the mayor makes up his mind is perfect for this scene. And he says, Lenny, (laughs) you could save the lives of millions of registered voters. He didn't need to say anything else. That's all the mayor heard, and that's what convinced him. And it, it, it's, it sort of just it justifies the point because as, as soon as he says the line, it goes over to the pre, to Mike, the 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 cardinal or the priest or whatever, giving it the approving look. On yes, Lenny, <laughs> Lenny. <laughs> it's a brilliant scene. I got it as mine um, for a number of different reasons. Right. Um, the exchange between him and Walter Peck. Yeah. Is this right? Yes, sir. This man has no dick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the, the bit with Winston Zedmore, and <clears throat> I'll say now, I think Ernie Hudson does really well with what he has in the film. He doesn't have a lot of screen time, and he's yeah. a cracking actor, and he does really well. But he, when he delivers, more or less just w- a couple of lines, he's, you know, he's like, Sir, I've only been with this company a couple of months, and blah blah blah. I've seen shit that will turn you white or something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's such a good line. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> I tell you what, though, the scene before it is really good as well in the in the jail. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's, that, a, that's another one that I was thinking of picking, but on this occasion, I went for the mayor's yeah, office. Yeah, but both of them work really well together, and um, yeah, it's ah, it, it's a brilliant scene. It's right up there for me. Um, I, I will say, you know the guy who plays Walter Peck? What's his name? William Atherton? William, yeah. Yeah. He um he, he said, for, for ages after the film, he used to get abuse from, like, general members of the public just <laughs> because of that role. <laughs> <laughs> and people would call him Pecker and things like that. Oh, God. <laughs> He's, he nearly had an injury as well, didn't he? Because when, obviously, the apartment building blows up and then uh, Stay Puft explodes, they dump all of that marshmallow on top of him don't they which is shaving foam yeah and yeah. And, and, and apparently it, it really hurt him prop, no no prop. It, what the story goes they tested oh, the it, they okay. tested it out on a stunt guy first yeah and they they released too much supposedly it was like in 500 gallon batches they should do so i don't know if that's a, a batch is what they li- what they put on this guy on or whether there was a batch that can cover the entire scene. I don't really know. But anyway, yeah, the, the story goes that they dumped it on this stunt double and they injured him because it was just oh, far nice. too much. So they ended up using less than on the actual actor himself. That's what the stunt double's there for, I suppose. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I I love that scene, though. It's a really short bit of the film, but, like, it's... Um, yeah. I, I think it's that sort of comeuppance, isn't it, for a character... 
You're like, ah, oh, yeah. he was a right cock earlier on in the film. I like it as well because obviously the Ghostbusters are trying to, you know, almost protest to the mayor about the severity of what they're facing. And it, even after everything they say, the mayor is still in two minds. Yeah. So Venkman just comes in with that one line and it's just like, okay, we've got him now. Dogs and cats living together, living together. mass <laughs> hysteria. It's brilliant. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. I, I, I've got a couple... So that was my main one as well, right? But I, I have got a couple of just honourable mentions. We don't need to go into them a huge amount. One of them's the Twinkie scene. Mm. You know, where um, Egon is... You know, um, referring to what could happen as a massive Twinkie, um, yeah. and then you know you see Ernie Hudson's character when um, Winston's go, "Tell me about the Twinkie." Love yeah. that. I I love the introduction to Ecto One for the first time. So, and there's two two different parts. Of it. So the first time you meet him, and Ray comes out of the car. So and it, you know it hasn't been done up or anything, and he reels out everything that's wrong with it. He needs sharks, he needs this and this and this and this. Um, and then the bit where it comes out to the fire station for the first time and goes around the corner. And you can clear, clearly see that the film is sped up because it's going faster than that sort of junk would ever go because it's a really heavy um, vehicle. Um, and then it goes on to the, into the... Mon- no, it goes on to the... Hotel. Is it? Which, yeah, the hotel, but there is... Um, I'm trying to think of the song. Oh, it's, um, it's called Cleaning Up the Town. That's the one, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a couple of honourable mentions from me. Also, before we come on to your favourite scene, Ev, there's a really good documentary, which is called Ecto-1, I think something like Resurrecting the Classic Car. So for the release of the Ghostbusters game, and I want to say around about... 2008, 2009, I could be totally, totally wrong on that. They brought, they found Ecto-1, the original, because there's only ever been one of them. Um, And for years and years, so he was used in number two, and then for years, it just went around during various tours and car shows. and So So it ended up getting into hell of a state, because it it just stayed in a lot somewhere, and just degraded. And I think it's still owned by the film company. Oh, the studio, sorry. So if you ever get a chance, watch that documentary. So that what they do is they do up the car in in time for this the, re- the release of this game. And it, it's, it's just a nice little homage. And you learn loads of things about it. That um, So, yeah, there was only ever one car made for it. Dan Aykroyd was really keen that that car was used because in his mind, when he was writing the script, he had an old Cadillac ambulance as as the car but the problem was the, the time you put the four characters in there and all the equipment around it it becomes a really heavy car um and they were saying well like during filming it was treacherous it, it, like and that's why when they come out the fire station for the first time go and more or less do a u-bend and go down the, the road behind them they have to do it so slow because the car's so heavy it can't it can barely turn um <laughs> and they, they were just really fearful of it breaking down throughout the entire film. So they got through the entire film and it, it, it was all right. And it, it broke down, I believe, then through, um, through midway through filming Ghostbusters 2. I can't picture any other car as no, a Ghostbusters no. car. 
Did you did you have the figures, the real Ghostbuster figures growing up, Bev? Yeah. Did you I have a, the car? Yeah, I had Ecto One. I had all the I had all the Ghostbusters and their their sort of corresponding ghosts. Because I remember they had they all came with proton packs which you attached to the arm and it had a little yellow string which Well, you yeah, they about. well they had a different colour for every character, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. And they would come with them with a the ghost. Some of them would fit over their heads and things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they had Ecto One. But if you remember, there was also Ecto Two, which was a little one-man helicopter. Ah, uh, yeah. No, I didn't have that. Yeah. I, well, I never had it. But again, I think someone had it within our group of friends. Come on, then, Ev. What's your favourite scene? Funny little thing about how you mentioned about the about the Twinkie. The little nods nods to like certain certain. Um, Certain bits of the film I only picked up yesterday was that he Venkman gives Egon a Twinkie right at the start of the film, so you so you almost think ah, it's a like Twinkie he's... is it? Egon, yeah. you deserve this. Yeah, I always mm. thought it was a chocolate bar, but yeah, it makes more sense for yeah. it to be a Twinkie. Um, I take it of... back what I said about you, Egon. Yeah. You deserve <laughs> this. Um, a couple of honorable honorable mentions before me before me main one. The um, when they're in the hotel and they've just captured Slimer. And he and Venkman breaks out the checkbook, and he and he's and he's um and he's writing how much it is, and you see Harold Ramis like scratching his face, but he's doing like a four, and I, I and I didn't realize that until later in life. He's like, oh, it's four thousand, and then he's pointing his nose, so it's like in, one thousand. In in that scene, right as Ray is initially talking to the hotel manager, yeah. you see Venkman pull out the pad, mm. and him and Ramis exchange a look. And Venkman yeah. points to the pad. Oh, okay. So it's almost like yeah. they uh, they wow. have a secret agreement before Venkman then goes on about the yeah. price. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I I love little details like that in films. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I quite like the um the the montage when they become successful, and you see like you you see the 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 famous sort of uh, the, the famous American people, and they were if you imagine they're quite they like. To get people like Larry King and and Casey Kasem on as um as like cameos in the film, that's right. that's quite good. La- Larry that. King's first um, film appearance. Yeah, really. Also, oh yeah. Also, Ron Jeremy. Did anyone spot him? Yeah, he's in it. Yeah. I I don't know if he's supposed to be in it because he's obviously not credited, but he's just a guy in the street, isn't he? He's the only famous person I recognise. <laughs> He's just yeah, just in the in the background. Problem is, he's got his clothes on, so no one recognised him. Yeah, it's funny you should say that about Larry King. That was his first appearance because he didn't stop doing him after that. <laughs> the Ghostbusters <laughs> opened the door for him. Also, do you know um, that th- there's there's a TV reporter or a news reporter, and he's being interviewed, and there's a guy just there's standing a guy in, in the, the back. Background. Yeah, and um, I only found out th- this time round that that's a real member of the public. They were filming in the street, and they obviously didn't yeah. stop and have permits or anything. They just started filming, and it's just a random guy standing there, <laughs> stroking his neck. I'd love it if that was me. Yeah, I, I'm in Ghostbusters. <laughs> well, I'd, 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 I've never seen Ron Jeremy in the film. Where, where I, you? It's, it's fleeting, but it's I, not and, like and also, unless, unless we told you, that's Ron Jeremy. And, oh, you'll never see Because he's just like in the crowd. Debbie Gibson's uh, in the film as well, apparently. Oh, she? Okay. Yeah, but it's her as a child, so she's not famous oh, at that point. Yeah. So my favorite scene, and like like you, Prog, it, it changes every time I watch it. But when they choose the form of the destructor, 
and okay. and and it, and, it, and it's and, and basically they say empty, empty head, empty head, and you say, and then Venkman goes, "Did you choose anyone? No, did you? I didn't choose anyone." And it, and it just turns, and you see Ray's facial expression. And he's just like, "Oh shit, you know he's you know he's fucked up." But then the the reason why I like it is just it's just the details of it because as soon as he starts talking and explaining, you hear Steve puffed in the background. And you hear the footsteps and the the camera shot, especially how it's how it's following, it's going through the buildings, and you see the marshmallow man just coming coming through, and then obviously it turns turns right. I just think fantastic. What did you do, Ray? <laughs> it, it just popped in there. What? But I was going to say this isn't a picking nit about the scene at all. I was just going to bring this up at the end because none of them, or all of them, depending on how you want to frame it could have kept their mind blank forever. Right. So I think, in a way, Ray's actually helped the situation because it's some giant marshmallow they've got to beat. <laughs> Whereas one of the other ones could have thought of something a hundred times worse. And also, you've got to factor in, whatever they think about is the, is the enemy... Just going to turn into a giant version of that. Yeah, they, they could think of an ant and it'd end up being a giant ant, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. can you imagine if they thought of a crocodile or something? Or they got in their head, you know, King Kong or something and it actually came to life. I mean, that would make so much more damage than a giant marshmallow. <laughs> well, originally, what they wanted to do to sort of show how big he was, they wanted him to emerge from the um, the Hudson River you know, next to the Statue of Liberty, but they, they abandoned that idea because they just obviously couldn't get it to work. Yeah, the logistics of that at the time would have been a nightmare. They they drop they drop like hints of state of stay puffed all through the film, don't they? Like there's like when when Dana's eggs start cooking on the counter just before she just before she sees the the dogs in her fridge, she buys Stay Puff marshmallows and then. Is it a real brand or was it the real brand when the film came out? I don't know. Because um, because it's a brand now, isn't it? But I wasn't sure if yeah. that's on the back of the film or not, and. Obviously, it's an American brand, so we wouldn't have been that familiar with it. The the other sort of instance of, of Stay Puft in the in the film you see is when when the containment unit explodes and you see all the all the lights and the 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 ghosts like flying around the city. You see a, there's like a a mural on a wall of the of the Marshmallow Man, and it's got big like Stay Puft in, in oh, letters I, and stuff. I don't um, think I've ever seen that bit. Before we go on to final changes for the film, I I, I want to put on some mentions that I've got right. Um, and you, you may or may not be aware of these, but Michael Keaton and Chevy Chase were both linked to the part of Peter Venkman. Um, and we always do this, and I, I, I'm not entirely sure I can see them. The problem is because Bill Murray does own that sort of part. You know, he does it so, so well. John Candy was linked to um, Lewis Tully, mm. but, and, and quite... You know, I think quite far down the line as well, but wanted to take the character in a slightly different way, so they ended up going with um, our friend Jason Jones Dribbler. <laughs> Rick <laughs> All, Moranis. Yeah. yeah, Rick Moranis, that's the one. Another scene where Ray has sex or has oral sex with a ghost oh. in his dream. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you know the deleted scene that's linked to this? No. So, and, and there's a scene, and, it, and it's been filmed because I've seen it. Ray and Winston... 
go to like an army barracks or something along those lines, right? Because th- there is a soldier on the outside and, and he opens a barrier and they go in. And they go into this building hunting ghosts. And they split up and then you come back to Ray and for whatever reason, he's fallen asleep on the bed. And in his dream, in the actual film that we watched, he has a dream. And if you notice, he's wearing like some weird things on his shoulders. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, like a, it's like an old-fashioned army uniform. Yeah, exactly. Like and it's literally, this is um, linked to this scene, right? So this is why I think they've, they've had this dream sequence in there. So anyway, for whatever reason, he falls asleep on this um, bed. There's a cupboard or a door by the bed and it lights up very similar to um, the room that Dana gets dragged into. Ray sort of wakes up and this the ghost of that woman comes out. The next scene then goes to Winston knocking on the door. Ray, are you in there? And he's like, and he shouts out like, leave me alone. Or, you know, I, I'm busy or something like that. Um, so I, I, to be honest, I'm quite glad they didn't use that and they used it as a dream rather than Ray having sex with an actual ghost. So what you're saying there was a subplot where Ray was having some sort of uh, paranormal affair. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's one of the deleted scenes that was released, I think, for the 35th year anniversary. Would that have been right? Yeah, yeah, 35th yeah. year anniversary. Um, it's just interesting. Never seen it before until this week. Did you have any idea watch, watching it as, as a kid or, or a teenager what the ghost was doing? Yeah. Definitely as a teenager, probably not as a kid. But, oh, um, yeah. But I, 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 I always assumed she she gave him a blowjob. Hang on a minute, Owen. Your history on this podcast would uh, dictate that you you didn't have a lot of knowledge in that area. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was it about this particular scene that gave it away for you? Was it the cross eyes? I'm not. I'm not going there. <laughs> Surely it's not Ray's um, sexual awakening. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> but then again, they're supposed to be from university, are they? I mean, well, they, they are. But, but they're scientists who are like thirty years old. Yeah, they're, they're all old. doing my master's degrees and stuff, and they and PhDs. So Ray's had some time in industry. He he he. He's, he tells yeah. it as it is. He's, he's worked in the private sector. They yeah, expect, you, you they think expect he's had results. some sort of uh, carnal relations with a with a co-worker or something, is it? Uh, all right, come on, changes. Um, Ev, let's go to you first. What have you got? None. None. Sorry, sorry. Uh, you're not getting anything out of me there. Hey, I, I don't say sorry, mate. <laughs> That's, it's fine with me. Come on, Progen. What have you got? I don't have any changes. I've got some questions. First one, Dana. How much does she eat? <laughs> Her fridge is stacked. And she's also just come back from grocery shopping, so she's got more food. Um, can I just shout out, and we haven't mentioned already, I do think she does Dana very well, Sigourney Weaver. Oh, yeah. But we, in fairness, we haven't, we haven't mentioned uh, Bill Murray a lot. Well, Bill Murray, Rick Moranis. You know. I mean, the, the cast... Are, a great as a whole, isn't it? So I, I think it's evident from yeah. what we've been talking about that 
for the most part, we've we've tried to highlight things that you wouldn't normally speak about, or try. You know, we try into. But, it, but like you, you say about Sigourney Weaver, that's just, that's still another big name to get from the film. You know, she did she did Alien. Do you know that she auditioned by only barking as a dog? Really? Yeah, supposedly. Um, so as part of her audition, I think she, yeah, she had to reenact the scene where she becomes the dog. I think they were a bit reluctant to go with her because she was a big name and known for Alien at this point. But she wanted to do something different to show that as an actor, she wasn't just going to be pigeonholed. Yeah, she'd done more serious work up until that point. The only, I think the only comedy film she'd been in was Annie Hall, but that, and that was only a bit part. Hmm. But it turns out she's actually a really good comedy actress because she's hmm. actually in one of my... Favorite underrated films, which is Dave. Ah, oh, figuring to say Galaxy Quest then. Well, Gal- that's another good. Film I was thinking well. that as well. Yeah, she's a she's a brilliant actress. Going oh, she she's is. been in she's... so many good films. She's actually my favorite female performance in any film, and that's Aliens. I'm going to make sure we do that film. Lewis Tully. Yeah. Right. Is he just an annoying nosy neighbor, or is he a possible stalker? He loves a bit of Dana. He obviously would um, like to take her out on a date. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, I know which way I'm landing, but I wanted to ask you boys first. Bit nosy neighbour, bit lonely, bit fancies Dana, to be honest. I think he fancies Dana, but I think ultimately he's just a nosy bugger. Yeah. Because if you notice when he's out holding that party, anytime someone comes to the party, he introduces the those people at the party to everyone else, but tells them personal information, like how much they earn and how much they're worth and stuff. Yeah, well, he says that line, doesn't he? He, he says, I invited only work colleagues or contacts and not friends because it's tax deductible or something, yeah. or something yeah. like that. Right, bombshell here, right? Might be a bombshell, I don't know. I've got one change to the film. Jesus. and It's not the film... And it's it's a point that I've brought up earlier about soundtrack. It's the main theme, Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. I don't like it. <laughs> and do you know what I think it is? It's overplayed. Halloween parties, uh, yeah. all that shit. I just don't. Un- I just don't understand it. I I, I just do I I think right. If it wasn't in the mainstream like it is, and was just left as a film, a, a, a song to a very good film, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it. I can see where you go in there, though, because there's so many songs from films that I can't handle, not because they're bad songs, but just because I've heard them so many times. Nothing against Ray Parker Jr., nothing really against the song, but mm. it's, it's just overplayed. It's played, I think, yeah, in situations where it shouldn't be played. Do you know the story behind it? Yeah. So Huey Lewis was approached to write the theme tune for um, the film. He declined because he had just written, what's it called, Back in Time for Back to the Future. And he didn't want to necessarily go down the route of of writing more soundtracks for films and things like that. So look, let's end... I will say one last point. Budget of 25 to 30 million. Return, 295. Uh, More or less times 10. 
Come on, don't get much bigger than that. <laughs> and and that's just box office. God knows what sort yeah. of you know rights and things were sold after that. The TV series, yeah. you know, number two. So anyway, let's wrap up there. It's one of our favourite films. I'm so glad we've done it. Probably a longer podcast than what we would normally do, but I think we had to pay some sort of homage to it. So worthwhile, worthwhile. Yeah. All right. Cheers, all. Catch up soon. I'm not going to do my usual intro. Ta-ra. What about your outro? Oh, it's not in, it's outro, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, can you can you edit? He's can back. You, <laughs> yes. Can you can you edit can you edit it with like a song from the film or something? Just fade yeah. out with. Or fade in. Fade in with magic and fade out with saving the day. Saving the day. (laughs) 